Hello, everybody. I'm going to talk for a couple minutes before I get started so you can get used to my accent. <laughs> and my humor. <laughs> um, my name is Steve, if you haven't met me yet. And uh, it's a privilege to be here. My wife, Terry, sends her... Uh, Regrets. She wishes she was here. We, we always minister together. Uh, her elderly mom is not well, and so she had to stay home with her. And so she misses all you all. Since I moved to Texas from California, I learned some new uh, language and, and grammar. Any English teachers or grammar people that it upsets you when things are misspelled or mispronounced or things like that? Anybody? Hello, come on, you guys got to help me out here. Is this too far away or too close? Too far. Okay, it's right. How's that? Okay, sorry about that. All right, let's start over. Hi, my name's Steve. Uh, any other Americans here tonight? USA people. All right, good. Thanks for being here. Appreciate all y'all. Uh, when I moved to Texas, the grammar we got down there, all y'all is singular. Y'all is singular. All y'all is plural. Y'alls is singular possessive. And all y'alls is plural possessive. <laughs> just, in case, just in case you wanted to know. So um, I was born uh, in Santa Barbara, California, and... Uh, I never knew my dad, and my mom died when I was five, left my two sisters and me. And uh, not long after that, after going through the foster system in some homes that were okay and some that were not okay, uh, we landed with the family. He was a pastor of a little church there. They had five kids of their own. They took my two sisters and me, and that's my family to this day. Uh, not long after that, I began to hear about Jesus going to church with my new family and my dad as the pastor. And I gave my heart to Christ, came down the center aisle of the church there, Hope Bible Church in Santa Barbara, as an eight-year-old. And I want to tell you, I've never, ever regretted that. Uh, I didn't uh, love Jesus as much as I love him today. I didn't know as much about him, but I knew that I knew that I knew that I wanted to follow him. I knew that I had sinned and that he was the one that died for me. And he was the one that rose again after three days and he's coming back for us. And as much as an eight-year-old could understand the gospel, I said, yes, I want to follow Jesus. And he has been faithful every single day since then. He has always, always been faithful. I've not always been faithful. I wish I had been. Uh, but there are some seasons that we kind of never denied him, but always uh, has he been faithful. And I'm so thankful for that. Everything that I talk about tonight, I want to encourage you uh, that it's because of a passion that I have for Jesus. Uh, he is my Lord, and He is my Savior, and He is my best friend, and He's the one that I worship. He's the one that I live for. He's the one that I, I long for. He's the one that I want to know better and know more. He's the one that I want to seek His face more. He's the one that I know I'm going to live with in eternity. Kirk read out of Revelation, out of the last two chapters of Revelation, and in the first two chapters of Genesis. If you take your Bible, those are sort of bookends. Everything in between has the effects 
effects of sin. Everything on the outside of those in eternity has no effects of sin. And that's where we're meant to be. That's what we're created for. That's where we're headed. I'm looking forward to that. So uh, tonight I'm going to um, lay a little bit of foundation and talk about a few things. But I want to settle that there's been an issue in the church... And it kind of grieves me that people argue about things and people divide. Doesn't it bother you when people divide over things? Well, this is a big one. And so I want to, I just want to settle this once and for all. If we could throw that picture up now. <laughs> the toilet paper goes on the outside of the roll. This is the patent. This is a patent from 1891. The toilet paper goes on the... I just wanted to settle that because I know some of you have not understood that. So remember I said it'll take just a second to get used to my humor. So how many are very disappointed in that revelation right now? All right, good. How many are very happy about that? It confirms... Okay. All right. Our young people... We have some young people over here. Is that right? Are you scattered out? Is there other young people out here? Yeah. Okay. All right. You can be whatever you want to be. So, <laughs> Young people, I have a word for you. Uh, the world as it is right now is in a very tumultuous time. It's, it's crazy. Uh, when I was a teenager, when I was your age, they called it the 60s. There was riots and rebellion and turmoil, and the world was being turned upside down. But you know what came out of that? A revival of young people. Millions upon millions of young people came to Christ. And out of the chaos, Jesus brings uh, stability and foundation, and you can be part of that generation. You gotta, I'll tell you what, the more you want to count for Jesus, the more it's going to cost you. And I know very well that when I'm standing up here, it may cost you, listen carefully, it may cost some of you your lives to serve Jesus. But deep down inside, there's, some, there's a grit in there. There's something, you know, I want to follow Jesus. I don't care what the cost is. He is truth. He is the way. He is life. And I want to follow him and serve him. And it's going to take the spirit of Almighty God to come upon you to accomplish what he's called your generation to do. Amen? All right, you see that? All right. And so, to the olders among us, I'm not touching that one either. So, to the olders among us, I want to say this. God is not done with you yet. He is not done with you. You are not on the back shelf. You might feel that sometimes. But he is not done with, until you have your last breath, he has a job for you to do. Because if he didn't have a job for you to do, he would call you home. You'd be done. And so I want to say to the olders among us, keep serving Jesus. Don't quit. Keep on keeping on. Keep on doing what you're good at. Keep on doing the things that you're gifted at. At the same time, make it easy for those coming behind you to follow you. Make it easy. Support those. Maybe, maybe uh, younger people are, are rising to positions uh, of authority within the church I'm talking about specifically right now. And, and, and you, you might even have more experience than them. You might even have a little more wisdom than them. Be a resource for them. Be a cheerleader for them. Make it easy for them to come, come along beside you.
and, and, and to serve. Does that make sense? God, God has positioned you. In fact, you're, if you're in the olders among us, that generation has, the, has more wealth financially than any generation in the his, history of this, of this world. And, and you have resources of talents and experiences and knowledge that, that, that the youngers among us really need. And so I want to encourage you I want to encourage you that, that what you are and who you are and what you can do and what you know is of extreme value to the kingdom of God. God has called you. He hasn't rescinded that call. And so keep serving Jesus. Keep following Jesus. Amen? Amen. All right. I hope you receive that too. And everybody else, I don't have another category. Either you're younger or you're older. You determine that. All right. So take it to God. You could be both. In fact, many of you are. So it just so that was free. And um, I want to I want to talk about two main things tonight. But first, I want to read a scripture: Second Timothy chapter one. Paul's talking to his protege. Paul is training and mentoring and uh, leading um, Timothy. And he writes this uh, letter. Actually, we call these the pastoral epistles. I think a better name would be the, the uh, apostolic training epistles. Uh, First and Second Timothy and Titus. Paul is training these young apostles uh, to carry on the work that he has. This is a great verse here. He says, hold on to the pattern of wholesome teaching you learn from me, a pattern shaped by the faith and love that you have in Christ Jesus. I want to say this, the word pattern is extremely important in scripture. Pattern is a big deal. When, when Moses built the tabernacle, he followed the pattern of God. When he built the priestly garments, he followed the pattern of God. Read the last two chapters uh, of Exodus and, and you'll see that uh, over and over and over, it says, and Moses did exactly as as the Lord commanded. It seems very boring. And then he did this on the priestly garments. And Moses did exactly as the Lord commanded. And at the very end, when he does all this, and Moses finished everything that God uh, had given him, and then the glory of God came upon uh, the tabernacle, and the glory shone. And from that point on, there was a, a pillar of cloud and fire, and, and the presence of God was in their midst. By doing something as seemingly menial and, and boring as, as making sure that there's the right number of hooks and clips and, you know, all these kind of things. But it's very important. Uh, Noah built the ark exactly as, as uh, prescribed by God and salvation came to human beings. And Solomon built the temple the same way. And then it says the glory of the Lord came. And when you follow God's pattern for your marriage, the glory of God comes on your marriage. When you follow the pattern of, of how you work in the work marketplace, in the workplace, and in your schools, the glory of God comes in seemingly menial things, do it God's way. That's the pattern that, God, that uh, uh, Paul is talking to Timothy about it. And the next verse he says, through the power of the Holy Spirit. So you have this pattern. You're going to do it God's way, but you can't do it on your own. You're going to do it through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us. Carefully guard the precious truth that has been entrusted to you. All right? That's a good little sermon right there. Paul preaches uh, and, and writes a lot of good little sermons. So um, I wonder if you wouldn't mind turning to your neighbor right now and say that was a good little sermon in two verses that Paul preached there. Yeah, you can go home now. 
All of those of you with uh, attention spans of goldfish. Uh, <coughs> goldfish have an attention span of four seconds, from what I understand. <laughs> well, everything's new, so. Uh, I want to I ask a question. Um, and it's, I'm not being funny, although it might sound strange, but why are we here? Why are we here tonight? Why are we here tonight? You know, there's a lot of things. It's, it's, this is a beautiful region for those of you that live on the island. This is magnificent. And there's a lot of things we could be doing. There's a lot of people who traveled here from a long ways. Why are we here? Why do we go to church on Sunday? Why do we read our Bibles? Why do we have to have our quiet time with God? Why do we have to, why do, we have to uh, do this stuff? Why do I have to serve the kids? Why do I have to do out in the parking lot or security or, or, or hospitality? Why do, why do we, we have to print bulletins and announcements and put stuff online and practice and worship team? Why are we doing all this stuff? It's a good question. Because sometimes, if we're honest, we ask ourselves that question. So I want to propose something to you and what I call the purpose of the church. Um, and if you, if you prepare this message, you might come up with not six points like I have. You might come up with four. You might come up with 32. It, I, it, this is just, this is what I see. I, I kind of borrowed some of this from some friends uh, way back when, but I tell you what, I own this thing and, and it makes sense to me. I like, I'm one of those people who likes to figure things out, like why on earth are we here? And it starts with the big picture. It starts way up at 40,000 feet, like if you're in an airplane and you can see the big sweeping overview and then it narrows down to uh, the day-to-day -day stuff. So I would propose to you that the first reason we're here is because uh, we as a church, Christ, body, and bride, are being prepared for his return as a husband would come back to his bride. We are the bride of Christ, and we are being prepared right now for his return for all of eternity. So if you read those last couple chapters in, in, in Revelation, you'll see, behold, the bride is coming. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. The culmination of the ages when Jesus refines his church without spot or with wrinkle, we come together and he takes us away to the home that he's prepared for us. That is a, a big picture, sweeping overview. That's the end of humankind on earth as we know it. And as the body of Christ, we're looking forward, longing for that day, just as a bride longs for her husband. All right? So, when you go to church on Sunday morning, do that. No, it's kind of a big thing. It's kind of like way up there. Let's earth it a bit, right? So the second thing that I would propose, how do we prepare ourselves as Christ's body and bride? He gave us a job to do. We call it the Great Commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, all people groups, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's a great, there's one God, baptizing them in the name, singular, of Father, Son, and Spirit, plural. Three and one right there in that little sentence. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. Not just teaching them to know everything I've commanded, teaching them to obey. Like I, I want my kids to not, to just brush their teeth because I told them to. I want them to want to brush their teeth. 
I want them to want to do their homework. That's the, that's the trick, right? And our job is to teach people what Jesus taught us and to want to do that. To say, God, I, I know that you already love me. Therefore, I want to do these things. Not so that you'll love me, but because you love me. And I want to go out there and do this. I want to be a disciple, the root where there's discipline. And so we want to be uh, people who are disciples, we are disciples. We're being made disciples at the same time we're making new disciples. All right? And so we call that the Great Commission. Jesus said he would be with us even to the end of the age while we do that task. That's still a big thing for one church to do, for your church to do, is disciple all people groups. All right? Go! Like this. It's kind of a big thing. So the next step down is how do we do that? Well, we as people who call ourselves New Testament churches... I think it's a good idea to look at the New Testament and see what the churches were like and what they did. I have so many friends that lead churches, the good guys, and they say, yeah, we're a New Testament church. And I go there, they're like nothing they're doing is in the New Testament. Where did you get that? That's not in the Bible. And so we want to be authentic New Testament churches like we see in the scripture where they, they operated simply. They we're devoted, this was mentioned this morning uh, by Dave, uh, devoted to the apostles' teaching, the breaking of bread and fellowship, and to prayer. It's simple. It's not an awful lot of things. They, they, every single church in the New Testament had a plurality of eldership, men who are anointed and called by God to lead the church, as we see in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 to 3, when, when Peter says, to the elders among you as a fellow elder. That word elder is presbyteros. It means the mature ones. Not necessarily in age, but in maturity. Uh, I exhort you, uh, shepherd the flock of God. That word shepherd is also translated as pastor. Uh, the Greek word is poimen, to, to shepherd, to lovingly tend the sheep. In the Old Testament, the prophets talk about gently leading those that are with young. So you have the mature ones, they're pastoring, shepherding the flock of God, exercising oversight. That word oversight is episcopal or episcopal, whether it's a noun or a verb. And that means administratively uh, overseeing all the affairs of the household. And so you see this, not, not for sordid gain, but eagerly as God has allotted each of you, and, and so forth. We see a job description in three words for, for local church. Every local church of the New Testament had elders. They were the mature ones. What did they do? They exercised oversight over the whole church and its affairs. How do they do it? As a shepherd would tenderly lead those that are with young. By the way, side thing, that's a great job description for every mom and dad. Because the family is a little picture of the church, a microcosm of the church. And, and, and every family, we have mom and dad. They're the senior leadership team of the household. And who are they? They're the mature ones. Right? They're the mature ones. The best parent advice I can give to any parents is be the parent. Be the parent. That's who God called you to be. To raise those little ones in, in a way that would please him. Not to be little rule-following Pharisees, but to love God. And their heart would be tuned toward God. Gently leading those that were, they, they oversee the whole house. So that's a great job description. Every New Testament church was connected to the, what we call the translocal, the Ephesians 4 gifted ministries. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. Every single one. The, the, the apostolic teams, what we call apostolic teams, that's adjective. 
That means a going and sending culture that Jesus said go. That's apostolicity is, is massaged into all of us. They all went. And every one of us sees that, and, and, and we, we go out. God has called us to be a going and sending culture. And so every single church in the New Testament was connected to apostolic teams, and that was fluid. It was very unorganized. Like an organizational chart is very organic, like an amoeba. You know, we kind of like, we got a bunch of worship guys here, and we're kind of low on, on kids ministry people here, and we're going to go, and we're going to do what God has called, gifted us and provided us with to do what we can. Uh, but every, every single church was connected. So when Paul wrote to the uh, Corinthians, they were messed up. That church was wild, but they loved God. There was sin that they were allowing and Paul hit him hard with the letter, but he didn't say, we're going to take away your pastor and put a new pastor in there. He didn't say, we're going to take your property away and, and, you, know, and, and, and you can't be part of our, our group anymore. He didn't say that. Here's what he said. I appeal to you. That's all he had. He goes, I appeal to you. You know that I love you like a father. And would you listen to me? You know what? They did. Because they had this apostolic partnership. So no church, there's no such thing actually as an as a NCMI church. If you've heard of NCMI, NCMI is simply a team of Ephesians 4, gifted men and women, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. Uh, they, have a, they have these giftings that are apart from the local. They're a bigger picture in the translocal to equip the saints for the work of service. And, and I'll talk about that in a few minutes. But uh, every single church was connected to an apostolic team. And every single church in the New Testament multiplied. In every city and every town all over uh, the, the, the known world, they evangelized and planted churches. And so how do you plant churches unless you, the next one down is you raise up a generation of leaders? Every single church from day one, I recommend that you start leadership training. So every single believer is a leader. We're called to be salt and light in this world. How on earth can you be an example and a light to the world if people aren't following you? Of course we're leading where God called us. Every single believer is not called to be a leader in the church. Most people don't want to be leaders in the church. They go, no, thank you very much. And we see patterns in the Old Testament where Jethro tells Moses to pick captains of 10 and, and 50 and 100 and 1,000. Well, the, the minimum is 10 to 1. Most people, 90% of people probably don't want to be leaders in the church, deacons or elders or whatever. They want to serve. They love Jesus and all that. But, you know, they might be a leader in, in business. They might be a leader in education or the arts or medicine or all, all kinds of ways where you can be a leader. But not everybody is called to be a leader in church. But in the church, we need to raise up leaders, leaders that have good knowledge of theology and a passion for Jesus and, and, and things like this. And how do you raise up generation of leaders unless you don't have an army of the kingdom of priests? Raising up kingdom of priests, your holy nation and royal priesthood. And so every single believer is, is, is a minister. A minister means to serve. The word minister in the New Testament is, is diakonos or diakoneo. The word servant in the New Testament is diakonos or diakoneo. The word deacon in the New Testament is diakonos or diakoneo. You can, you can serve or you can be a servant. You can minister or you can be a minister and so forth. 
We're all called to serve or minister or deacon in the the small, not the office of a deacon, but we're all called to be ministers. Each one of you can go to the hospital and pray for the sick. Each one of you can share Jesus in your school and in your neighborhoods. In your families, each one of you can, can 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 represent the goodness and generosity of God in your sphere of influence. That's a that's a, us acknowledging the priesthood of all believers. And by the way, the elders are part of the priesthood of all believers. Eldership is not a title; it's simply a function. So I used to ask my people. I turned my church over a year ago, and I asked them, "Please don't call me Pastor Steve. I don't call you Plumber Bob." You know, this is my friend Bob, a plumber. This is my friend Steve, he's a pastor. You know, pastor is only one of the three functions of eldership, but in our culture, people kind of understand what pastor is, so we, we use that terminology. Uh, but what, what it does is, if you put a title on somebody, Pastor Brendan, all right? So now there's a responsibility on Pastor Brendan. He has to go to bed early on Saturday night, so he comes Sunday morning refreshed, ready to minister. I, on the other hand, can stay out as late as I want on Saturday night and do whatever I want, come drag it in on Sunday. No, we are a priesthood of all believers where we all come in ready to serve, ready to give, and and there's no elevation. Uh, It's not just Brendan reading his Bible and telling us on Sunday what it's about. We are all called to read our Bibles. We're all called to serve God where we are. And and when Jesus died on the cross and and the veil was torn from top to bottom, and now that signified that we had access into the very throne room of God. There's no more separation anymore. We as a church have been trying to sew that thing back up for 2,000 years because it's too scary to get in God's presence when I'm living with hidden sin in my life and my life is not together and I'm just doing whatever I want to do and I have failed to understand that I am the part of the priesthood of all believers and there's an expectation on me to serve. And how do we get priesthood of all believers unless people are getting saved? So the the number six uh, thing there is to evangelize the lost. We tell people about Jesus in every way we can. Learn how to share our testimony. So what of those six things, what's the most important? Uh, My suggestion would be this. The most important thing we do is evangelize the lost and bring people to Jesus, comma, so that we can release an army of the priesthood of all believers, comma, so that out of that flows leadership in the local church, comma, so out of that we can plant New Testament churches everywhere in every village, town that we come across that God opens the doors to, comma, so that we can fulfill the Great Commission by discipling the nations, comma, because Jesus is coming back, all right? So that's why we're here tonight. Everything we do as churches should fit into that somewhere. Every, every ounce of prayer and sweat and finances and work and sleeplessness and, and, and all those kind of things fits into the fact that there's a big picture and we are part of it. We're not it. We're part of it. This thing that God has called us to. Amen? All right. So, moving on. You got that? All right. So I would encourage you. This is a this is pointed toward leaders. Uh, this equip time. Uh, everybody's welcome here. But I encourage you, as a believer in Christ, take these things to heart. And so, uh, I want to talk for a couple minutes more on about just some things about the church. My passion is strong, healthy local churches. 
I have, for, for years and years, my passion somehow, and, and the older I get, the easier it is to verbalize it. I, want, I, I think that strong, healthy leadership teams make strong, healthy churches. If you're a business owner, a strong, healthy leadership team within your business makes a, makes, makes a productive and healthy business, fruitful business. If you're mom and dad, the leadership team in the home, and you're strong and healthy and your relationship is strong and healthy, you're going to have fruitful and productive and, and beneficial home because the leadership team is there. Does that make sense? All right. So speaking to things about the church, uh, a few years ago, I was backing out of the... Uh, garage and dropping the garage door was coming down and Terry and I had to get somewhere I gone at Home Depot I got some tomato plants with tomatoes on them because I'm a terrible gardener I get it done three quarters it's already three quarters done you know the plant and the tomatoes all I had to do was put them in the ground but I didn't have time so as the garage door was coming down I saw about 12 tomato plants over here and I thought you know what I cannot make those things grow I cannot make plants grow but I sure can stop them from growing. I can fail to put them in soil. I cannot water them. I cannot make sure they get sunlight. So Jesus said, my church will grow through me and the gates of hell will not prevail against the church that I built, right? Jesus is building his church and we can't stop that. Only he can bring the growth. One plants, one waters, but God brings the increase. We know, we know those scriptures. I'm, by the way, I'm quoting a lot of scripture tonight, and you're going to have to look them up because it's just too many. So we can sure mess things up. It's his church. I asked if it was okay to say, can we screw things up? Yes, we can. Really bad. And too many people have gotten hurt in church because of misunderstandings and miscommunication and inefficiency and, and all the things that can mess churches up. Same thing is true with homes. And if God is talking to you tonight or if he highlights anything, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't have to be a big, huge thing. Go, yep, Jesus shined his light right on me right there. God, please forgive me and help me to walk in health and wholeness from this point on. And so, I have a list of things. It's called things that will kill a, church, a church's effectiveness. Or in other words, how to mess up your church. All right? So I, I am taking a backwards view of it, just so it makes it maybe a little more interesting. So, all right, I got, uh, I, want, I have a list of things, but first I want you to know, we'll say right off the bat what Jesus thinks is important in his church. Do you know that Jesus has a list of things that are important in his church? Just read this, the letters to the churches in Revelation, and you'll come up with a list of things. Here's, here's, a, here's a, a short kind of condensed list of the things that Jesus thinks are important in his church. It is his body and his bride. Uh, number one is love. Love for God, love for Jesus, love for his people. This is a big deal. It comes through over and over in those letters in Revelation 2 and 3. Another thing is he goes, he, that Jesus thinks is important is holiness. Holiness. Be holy, for I am holy, says the God. Says God. Be holy. 
Another thing that Jesus thinks is important is humility. To walk humbly. You're not all you think you are. You're not all that. We are part of it. Paul says that in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians. He says, each of you is part of it when we're compared to a body. You're not the whole body. And if you, your part, you want to be the head, that's our job's already taken. That's Jesus. He's the head of the church. You can figure out what your part is. You're a shoulder or a knee or a liver, just whatever you, part of the body you are. But we all are part of the body. We all have a function, and we all have a purpose, and we're all there. But we want to walk in humility because we don't know everything. We don't know it all. We need each other. The body needs all the parts working together. So we walk in humility. We walk in truth. Is another thing Jesus thinks is important. Holding uh, 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 our lives, living our lives according to what is true. And hating false teaching he commanded them for. And then another thing Jesus thought was important was serving, service, works of service, uh, including taking care of the poor, serving one another, and uh, as individuals and as families and as the church. And don't ask the church leaders to do the area of service in the city that God called you to do. Just because you're excited about it doesn't mean the whole church is called to it. In fact, the church should be very simple. The church should devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, the breaking bread, and fellowship, and prayer. And equipping the saints for the work of service. The saints do the work of service. You want to do this? Go for it. But don't expect us to recruit people for your thing. You, you go do what God called you to do. Or hop on board with somebody who is. And then um, a progress, always maturing, always looking forward. Paul says in Philippians 1.6, I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a work in you will complete it in you, will perfect it in you, will mature it in you, will finish it in you. How long? Until the day of Jesus Christ. Until the day you meet Jesus. Whether you die here on this earth or whether he comes back and we all go see him at the same time. And the seventh one that Jesus feels is important regarding his church is perseverance. Don't give up. Do not give up. This one was mentioned five times in, in those letters to the churches. Do not give up. Keep moving forward. God is always, always, always about maturing and fruitfulness and going forward and expanding all those things. Increase, increase. Get a theology of increase uh, down inside of you. So that's what Jesus uh, thinks. And those fit in great with, with strong, healthy local churches. So here's some things that we'll see how far we get. We'll see uh, how we go here. Things that will kill a church's effectiveness. This is my list. This is not in, you know, Second Concordance chapter 2 or something like that. These are things that I see, and you could add to the list. If you come up with a really good one, just email me. Uh, let me know. And uh, my email address is uh, mike at oceansidesearch.ca, and, um, and we'll add to the list here. So uh, here's the first one. Not keeping Jesus first will kill your church's effectiveness. All of these are applicable to you as individuals, by the way, and it's applicable to your family. But I'm talking to churches and church leaderships. Jesus must be first. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things. We get so worried about so much. Jesus must be our passion. He must be our 
focus. That's why for me, being on Tyron's team, when I used to be a, an elder and a pastor in a church and he was an intern, and now he's the head of the team that I'm on, I am happy to follow him. I am happy because he keeps Jesus first, and he's a great example for us as churches that partner with the team called NCMI. All right? Jesus must be first. He must be first in your life. And the devil is always trying to pull him off the top of that hill, or ourselves. We're capable of it ourselves. We have to fight for our passion for Jesus. We have to fight. We have to work toward it. We cannot let it. It's, it's keeping the, 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 the lamp trimmed. It's keeping the flame going. It's being ready. It's following him. It's loving him. It's honoring him, keeping Jesus first, the passion that we have for him. The second one here is not honoring the word, the Bible. We've said this with the one of our values in uh, New Covenant Ministries, uh, for, as far as the team goes, is the Bible plus nothing, minus nothing. We had a translator in Mexico years ago who was mistranslating that, saying la Biblia más o menos. That means the Bible more or less. <laughs> it's, it was kind of a not very good translation. <laughs> No, the Bible plus nothing. The Bible minus nothing. Now, there's a lot of things that we do as churches that the Bible doesn't address. Those are what we call abiblical. They're not in the Bible. And we have to go before God humbly and say, God, are we going to have blue chairs or green chairs? All right? These aren't heaven or hell issues. The Bible doesn't address it. But we're going to use the wisdom that God gave us. Parents, you're going to have to use your wisdom. The Bible doesn't say your kids can't go to R-rated movies. Doesn't say that. You're going to have to use the Word of God, go to the Word of God for guidance in there. My kids, when they were teenagers, and my son leads a church in Houston now, uh, they had to memorize uh, this uh, verse Finally, brothers, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, whatever is excellent, uh, if anything is worthy of praise, think on these things. Does that cover this movie you want to go see? No. <laughs> then you're not going to go see it. You're not going to go see it. Okay. Like this. So you can cover all these things. The TV is not in the Bible. But David said, I'll set no worthless thing before my eyes. <laughs> Being facetious here, but anything that happens in life is covered in the Word of God. His ways. Learn His ways. Jesus said, learn my ways. So... We want to honor the Bible. We don't want to worship the Bible. The Bible is not God. The Bible is God's word. We keep, Je number one is Jesus. We put Jesus first. Does that make sense? Sometimes we worship the Bible. And, 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 and yes, we honor the Bible. Yes, it is his word. And yes, it reflects what he wants and all those things. But too many churches, all we do is, is worship the Bible and we have no fruitfulness, no relationships, no friendship, no love and passion for Jesus, no anything. It's just this dry thing. Does that make sense? Uh, the next one that I would propose that would kill a, a church's effectiveness is not allowing the Holy Spirit a voice. Not honoring him, not not 
ever deviated from our plan. We have it all figured out. And the Holy Spirit goes, uh, 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 um, how about going this way? No, we, sorry, you should have told us that before we got started. Not honoring the Holy Spirit, not listening to him. Um, not spending time, not talking and listening. Too much time we, we're asking God for stuff and we never stop talking to hear his response. And you got to figure that out. What time is best for you? I think the morning is a good time. The Israelites went out early in the morning to gather their manna for the day, their word, and, and, and spend time with the Lord before the text started and the phone calls and the, all that stuff. And Jesus went out early to pray. So I would say that we need to spend time with the Holy Spirit in silence, listening and receiving. Because I'll tell you what, when you get into his presence, you, you get into his perspective. Perspective is a big deal. When you're in an airplane, look out a window. You can look out over here. In Southern California, you can see Catalina Island off, off the coast, and you can see the Mount Baldy over here. They're, they're about 100 miles away from each other. When you're on the land, you can't see both of those. When you're up here, you can see both of them easily. When we get in the presence of the Lord up here, we can see our problem doesn't become so small. And we can see his perspective on these things. But not allowing the Holy Spirit a voice in your own life or the church life we will kill your effectiveness. You're trying to do it in your own efforts. And a lot of times worship. I love worshiping. I, if you look at my playlist on my Apple Music playlist, um, iTunes playlist, you'll, ha you'll see at least 25 songs that have over 5,000 listens. Endlessly spending time in the presence of the Lord. That's just for me. To get whatever the writer was writing, to get that into you, and usually it's based on scripture, get that in you. Spending time with the Lord, saying nothing, just listening to him. So because I said the, the, the second one and the third one is the, is the word of God and the Holy Spirit, we've heard a lot lately about the word and the spirit. And I want to say that we want to be churches that are, that are full of the Word of God and the Spirit. There's so many churches out there that are Word, 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 Word. And there's so many churches out there that are Spirit, Spirit, Spirit. And God says both. Jesus was full of grace and truth. God is an and God. We are to go to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the other. Not Ju Jerusalem or Judea or Samaria. That's not what Jesus said. It's and. We want to do these things. We want to be full of the Word of God. We want to be faithful to theology. We want to be able, be able to articulate the gospel. Each believer, if you, if you have trouble doing that, you need to, you need to start a class at your church and, and talk simple ways to articulate the gospel. Go to 1 Corinthians uh, 15, where Jesus came, as the scriptures said. He lived a sinless life, like the scriptures prophesied. He, he died for our sins, a substitutionary atonement for us, and, and he, uh, rose again on the third day and he's coming back for us and this person saw this person saw over 500 people uh, saw Paul said you could go ask them today because they're still alive Goes, go talk to them about when Jesus was, was risen from the dead and then Paul says lastly he appeared to me so Paul knew what he was talking about he saw Jesus so 
word and spirit. We need to deepen our theology. Uh, somebody I respect once said it takes the average seminary graduate 10 years to learn how to become a good pastor. And it takes those that go straight into pastoring 10 years to learn how to become a good theologian. It's not going to happen overnight. It's going to take a lot of work. And that applies to men and women as well. We need to accurately handle the word of truth. And we need to depend upon the Holy Spirit. Because <coughs> the Holy Spirit is like having a, sa a sailboat. And everything's ready. The sails are trimmed. The, the food is stocked. The ropes are in good condition. Everything's ready to go. The rudder works. The captain's sober. There's, everything's ready to go. But there's no wind. We can do all the things, but if the Holy Spirit is not blowing the wind, it's, we're, we're operating in futility. Word and spirit. Word and spirit. Not one or the other. It's like two wings on an airplane. We need them both. <coughs> Number four, not placing a high priority on healthy, wholesome friendships. Fellowship, friendships. That's one of our big values, friendship before function. This is healthy leaders, healthy friendships among the leaders, healthy friendships among the church. The Matthew 18 principle, you should all know that. Go to somebody alone if there's an offense. Sometimes people say, I wasn't offended. Well, why are you talking about it 12 years later? Go deal with it. Seek restitution and forgiveness and move on, both of you in wholeness. So Matthew, the, the whole idea of Matthew 18 is keep the circle small, small as possible. And, and your leaders can tell you how that would be possible. Proverbs 21:18 is another way to have healthy, wholesome friendships is, um, is uh, death and life. Or in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof, the King James says. So we have the ability to speak words of death. We have the ability to speak words of life, words that will build people up and edify them, words that will cut people down. That old saying, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will never hurt me, is a big fat lie. Because some of us remember the words that were spoken decades ago, and that still hurts. We can heal up from broken bones and stitches and scars. But words are a big deal. God spoke the world into existence with his words. If we say these words, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Please forgive my sin. Please become Lord of my life. I want to follow you. Those are words of life, aren't they? Those are words of life. And we have the ability to tear people down and cut them down. And there's no place in believers for speaking that way. Only words that build up. Yes, you have to have discussions. Yes, you have to have conversations from time to time and iron things out. But it's done in love without ripping people apart with our words. Now, these are for healthy, wholesome relationships and uh, walking in forgiveness. God, Matthew 18, the whole thing about the servants and, and who owed the king a lot of money. And, and if today's, it's, it's, it's billions of dollars actually. And, and, and the king forgave him just because he asked. Then he went outside and asked for, he, he wouldn't forgive the guy who owed him a hundred denarii, which is, you know, maybe 20,000 bucks in today's, you know, it's a, it's a you know, 
Brendan owes me 20,000 bucks. I want my 20,000 bucks. But if God forgave me my whole lifetime of sin, why can't I forgive somebody else even though it hurts? And I know very well there's people in this room that people have done stuff, betrayal, uh, injury, harm to you that really hurts. But if you don't forgive, you're the one tortured. You're the one that's torn apart inside. You've got to release that and release it to the justice of God. So you'll walk in health and wholeness. We have to place a high priority on healthy relationships. Uh, I might start going a little bit faster. We have to, uh, uh, well, things that will kill our effectiveness as a church is learning to live with division. Number five here. All right, I know that these guys aren't getting along with these guys. These guys aren't going to get it. No, it's wrong. 1 Corinthians 1.10. Let there be no divisions among you. It's not a suggestion. You have division. That's two visions. You're divided. You're not going to ever be as strong as you could be when you are united, wherein God commands a blessing, Psalm 133. If we have a big old tug-of-war rope in this room, and this side is against this side, and we're pulling, 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 all right? Even the winners are tired and exhausted. How about if one side drops their end of the rope, everybody gets on one side, and you can pull for 100 miles because there's unity. Let there be no divisions among you, especially among leaders. And you can't fight for or expect unity in your church unless you keep Jesus first because we're tuned in to the same one. Is this, I hope this resonates, some of this stuff. Number six, we're going to uh, not experience uh, health and fruitfulness. So this is going to mess our, our church up if we start settling. Settlers. Now, I know that some people view settlers as people who went into a pristine area, chopped down the forest, started a farm. You know, that's, that's really not a settler, but it's more of a pioneer. So we want pioneers, not settlers. If, and, and I don't want to play with those words, but you know what I'm saying. We want people with a pioneering, not just like, hey, we're doing good. Because I'll tell you what, there's churches in this room that could do nothing else for next, the next 20 to 25 years. Do nothing, no effort, nothing. And you would be fine. But after 20 or 25 years, you'd realize that you would have slipped into mediocrity and irrelevance and unfruitfulness. That's not the church that Jesus wants to represent him. That's not his body and bride. Is, is the life you're living worth what Christ died for? We keep going on. We don't settle. We keep, we keep sacrificing. We keep learning new methods, not the message is not new. The methods are new. So not, uh, that was touched on this morning by Tyron. Uh, something else that can af uh, affect our effectiveness, kill our effectiveness, is to stop dreaming. I want to encourage you to dream big dreams. Dream big dreams. I'm not talking about presumptuousness. I'm talking about in Jesus. If, if you can accomplish your dream, it's not big enough. It has to be something that Jesus has to help, help you finish 
and accomplish. Dream big dreams. What could be better? New ideas, new ways of doing stuff. How can I grow? How can I grow into the person? I, I can see myself leading a Bible study and, 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 and teaching people, but I never read my Bible, so it just doesn't happen. Dream a big dream, and then you contribute your part to it and do that. The, the eighth one here is that would kill our effectiveness is forgetting the discipleship mandate. Matthew 28, I've kind of spoken about that. We have a, it's a mandate. We call it the Great Commission. It's not our mission. It's his mission. We are on co-mission with him. It's his dream. It's his desire. And we come alongside that. Number nine here. Something that will kill our church's effectiveness is becoming too complicated. Too many programs, too much scattered and inconsistent focus. Keep things simple. Keep things steady. And, and, and keep, keep moving along. Keep moving forward. But don't dilute your energy and your effort by doing too many things. You know what causes burnout? It is doing eight things at 80% instead of three things at 100%. You'll just get so frustrated. You'll get burned out. So keep it simple and do well the things that God has set before you. And part of that is just a little side note on there is simplify your poor communication. A lot of us are very poor communicators. And we, get, we, get, we, we injure people because we're not communicating correctly. And I want to encourage all of you, from young people to older, if you have an important thing to say to a friend, don't text it to them. Say it face to face. Sexting can really get messed up. And friendships end without them ever even a phone call or a face to face talk. Because you can't communicate your heart really in a text. Even though you use the heart emoji, still doesn't do it. So, don't play games with your communication. If you're training people and they're potential elders, say, I'm training you because you're potential elders. Just be honest. And I would continue to say, not all of you will become elders, but at least you'll learn what we're doing. You can pray for us more. But I'm training people because that's what I'm called to do. Uh, and so we're going to train you. We're going to be honest in our communication. We're not going to dangle carrots. We're just going to say... This is what we're doing. And it's simple, straightforward, honest communication. And please share your expectations. If you're in a leadership position, whether you're leading a hospitality team or a kids ministry team or whatever, share your expectations. That's, that's the number one request in, in our Western world's marketplace is tell me what to do. Just tell me what you want. Oh, if they don't know, then I'm not telling them. They should know. No, tell them. Jesus, Jesus told us, <laughs> he didn't say, okay, serve me, but I'm not going to tell you what to do. <laughs> he said, this is what you're going to do. You're going to have to lay down your cross, take up your cross uh, daily, lay down your life every day. <laughs> That's what you're going to have to do. All right. So sometimes uh, we get so busy with church stuff, we forget about the kingdom. Number 10 here, not dealing with distractions. I would say that's the number one, one of the top two or three at least in our culture is distractions. We're trying to live our lives with three bumblebees 
buzzing around our head. And try to be effective. Try to play golf that way. Try to, try to uh, you know, just do any, any number of things. You can't be so distracted. And we have, uh, you know, please, turn your phone off one hour a day. Just try it. Spend time with the Lord. Turn your phone off. Yes, we live in a, an increasingly complex world, and, and you pretty much need that for communication and so forth and, and to check the weather and your stock prices and your Instagram hits and, you know, just... But turn it off an hour a day and just spend time listening and spending time with the Lord. We are so distracted. Uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, yes, we know that we all have knowledge about this issue, but while knowledge makes us feel important, it's love that strengthens the church, not busyness. Uh, The next one is not remaining pure. That'll kill a church's effectiveness. Luke 11.36 speaks about having no dark corners. You know what purity is? I looked it up, and it says one of the definitions is 100%. So when you get that little pre-oil bottle, it says it kills 99.998% of germs. What about those two ten thousandths? You know, it's not, it's not 100%. Husbands, what if you told your wives, honey, I've been 99% pure this year? How would that go over with your wife? Wives, huh? Or vice versa. But we tell Jesus, who is our betrothed to the, his, his uh, bride, the church, I've, I've, been real, I've, I've been really faithful this year. I'm, I'm up over 80%. And he's going, uh, wait a minute. I've called you to be holy. I've called you to live holy lives. Remaining pure. Not staying ready and alert. You know, the... the, the the ten virgins and the lamps and the not ready for the for the grooms coming back. We are we are called to stay alert. And I'm not getting into an end times prophecy here. The Bible's full of stuff that says stay alert. Be ready. Be watchful. And then also what can kill our effectiveness is the inward focus. We start turning inward instead of outward. One of the biggest things I, I see about churches, you'll have a I'll see, prophetically, I'll see a picture of people standing in a circle, holding hands, all looking at each other, praying for each other, worshiping God together. You know what? Let go of the hands, do a 180-degree turn, hold hands again. You're still in a circle, but you're all facing outward. That's where God's called you, not in there. Us forward, no more. It's out there. God has called you to minister out there. So another one is getting sloppy. That means not excellent. We're called, God is an excellent God. He doesn't do things sloppy. Let's do the best we can with what we have and the culture we're in. All right? In our culture, it's good to be on time. Other cultures in the world, on time means within a day or two. Or 90 minutes, maybe. And then the last one I'm going to talk about is not prioritizing our partnership with Ephesians 4 ministry giftings. Your church will not be as effective or fruitful as it could be without the partnership pattern we see in the New Testament. And what we see in Ephesians 4 is five five ministry gifts. These are people gifts to the church. 
The gifts in Romans 12, those are temperament gifts. You can't change those. God gave you either serving or mercy or leadership or giving or, or uh, exhortation or prophecy. Those are things you'll never not be those. That's how God created you. That's good gifts the Father gives to his children. And then the Holy Spirit gives gifts, manifestations of the Holy Spirit to his co-laborers at his pleasure. You don't always have those. He gives them, takes them at his pleasure. But the Ephesians 4 gift list are people gifts to the local church. And so, for example, uh, Ephesians 4, evangelist, is not just somebody who comes in and you have a, a, a revival and a bunch of people get saved. No, a true Ephesians 4 evangelist comes into the local church, equips the saints for the work of service, so that when he leaves, the deposit is everybody wants to tell their friends about Jesus. That's a true Ephesians 4 ministry gift, all right? A couple years ago, I went on a sabbatical. It's the first time in 40 years of ministry that I took three months off and, and uh, I wanted to study the prophetic. And I talked to some of my friends, Ken Grenfell and Ian McKellar and respected uh, prophetic guys. And I said, do you have any book recommendations on the prophetic? And, and they said, there are none that they know of. There's gifts, on, there's books on prophets and there's books on prophecy but not the prophetic. What is the prophetic? It's this ethereal thing in the life of the church. And so I wanted to study. I'm working on a sermon now on what the prophetic looks like in the local church. Uh, but I wanted to, to really say, what is the deposit of a true Ephesians 4 minister after they leave the local church? So I spent, I read my Bible twice during that time. I'm not bragging. I'm just saying I really spent time in the Word, and and um, and I and I prayed on it, and I, and I finally, I finally came up with this: that we know that um, a teacher grounds people in the Word. We've heard that uh, evangelist. Gets and a prophet guides. We've heard those things in the. Uh, but what's the deposit he leaves after they leave? So when a true Ephesians 4 teacher leaves a local church, the deposit he left in the people is a greater passion for the word. Greater passion for the word, put simply. When a true Ephesians 4 evangelist leaves the local church, the deposit he leaves is a greater passion for the lost. That's what they leave. People want to share their faith with the lost. The true Ephesians 4 apostle who governs, when they leave, when, when, when they're done, they leave a deposit of a greater passion for the kingdom. Big picture, sweeping picture, overview. This is the apostle, the, the, um, the multi-talented leader, the master builder. That's the deposit they leave, this big picture kingdom, kingdom of God, foundation, stability, enlargement, the big picture. The pastor, the deposit, Ephesians 4 pastor, could be in the local church, it might not be in the local church, might be outside. They leave uh, a deposit in the local church of a greater passion for the bride. Jesus bride, the church, greater passion for people, for the church, for the health of the church, passion for the church. The one that I had, the pastor, you know, a lot of times we view the pastor as the, as the Wilbur milk toast 
wussy guy who just loves to pet the sheep and tickle their ears. That's not a pastor. A, a, a true pastor, a true shepherd. A true shepherd will lay down his body in front of the entrance to the cave to keep the lions and wolves out. The true pastor, a true shepherd, will rip a lion or bear's mouth open barehandedly. Pastor should have a fierce protection for his flock and for his sheep. It's a big deal. The one that I spent the most time on that was, was really difficult was the prophet because we see the prophet guides and um, I asked a lot of questions. So at the end of my two or three months of study and, and, and um, looking into this, here's what I came up with and you can uh, change it. The Bible said that there was no greater prophet than Moses. And was a true Ephesians 4 prophet, a guy that comes into a local church, and then when he leaves, everybody goes around prophesying over everybody? I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, I talked to Dudley Daniel about this, and I said, we've always said that we are prophetic people. We see the future. We prepare the future for the future. We become the future. And he goes, yeah. I said, what about this? And I told him what I thought. And he goes, no, this should be see the future, prepare the future, become the future. Uh, so that's a good definition. But I, I want to say, what is the deposit when a true prophet comes in the local church? And here's my take on it, is a greater passion for his presence, the presence of God. Moses, the greatest prophet who ever lived, said, if your presence does not go before us, I don't want to go. And in your presence, I have to live a holy life, a pure life. I have to develop an intimacy with you that I've never had before so I can hear your whispers. I can feel your heartbeat. And I want to know God Paul said, and the power of his resurrection. And I want to encourage you in, in this area to, to get closer to God, to have a, to, uh, to have a, a desire to see him. One of the songs that I'm looping through right now, it's for six months I've been, I've been listening to this almost daily, is show me your face, Lord, show me your face. Moses stood on a mountain waiting for you to pass by. You put your hand over his face so in your presence he wouldn't die. I want to know God. I want to be in his presence. I want to hear his whispers. I don't want him to have to shout. I want to know what he's talking to me about. Dudley Daniel, in his book, Building on Apostolic Foundations, he says, what is possibly most needed in the presence of God's people is his, is in the, what is most needed is the presence of God in the midst of his peop people. That's what we need most, the presence of God in our midst. Without the presence of God, we have no power. 
no authority, no transformation, no glory to display to the nations. Without the Spirit that gives life, we only have the letter of the law to preach. Without the Spirit, there is death, but when He comes, there is life. And with the life, there is the potential for growth and fruitfulness. Genuine ministry takes place when there is an operation of the Holy Spirit, whereby He transforms us into the image of Christ through the Word of God. If this transformation does not happen, then no ministry has taken place, we have either listened to a good sermon or a poor sermon. Without the presence of God, nothing changes. What are some evidences that he's been in our midst, the prophetic is in our midst? Well, his presence is there in a manifest way. Yes, he's present all the time, everywhere, but a manifest present in your own life. How about 1 Corinthians 14, 13? My go-to person on the Holy Spirit was my old pastor, Jesse Mason. And I said, I feel that the, 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 the evidence of the Holy Spirit in our midst is straight out of 1 Corinthians 14, verse 3, where it says the church is encouraged and strengthened and comforted. And he goes, that's it. That's the definition of the working of the Holy Spirit in the midst of his people is when they leave the meeting encouraged or strengthened or comforted because you can't make that up. Only the Spirit of God could do that in people's lives. I said, thank you. (laughs) That was fun. So we read in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 14. This is probably one of the most succinct benedictions in the New Testament. Paul says, Now then may the grace of the Lord Jesus and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that great? The grace of Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, but the fellowship, the intimacy, the closeness of the Holy Spirit be with you all. The fellowship of the Holy Spirit, the love of the Father, and the grace of the Son. And His presence must be on His terms, not our terms. We approach Him, and His arms are waiting. You gotta want it. You gotta yearn for it. You gotta desire to be closer to God. And I'm so thankful that He has made a way for us to come straight into His presence. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. While Moses had that conversation with God about his presence, God goes, you know, you're just, you're no better than anybody else. Your nation is just a small, puny little nation. It's not that you chose me. I chose you. God desires you and he desires your presence. Let's stand together as we worship.